Hey there, health aficionados. Welcome to another riveting episode of Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, your co-host and the man behind the curtains, pulling the strings at Health Innovation Media. Joining me in our digital wonderland of a studio is the one and only Fred Goldstein, the co-architect of Pop Health Week and reigning president of Accountable Health, LLC. Pop Health Week is your go-to virtual salon where the who's who of healthcare from payers and providers to patients and policymakers gather to share best practices in population health management and public health innovation. Want to slide into our lineup with a Where's the Beef contribution? Find us at www.popupstudio.productions or tweet us at GregMastersMPH for me, and that's Greg with two G's, mind you, and Fred at FS Goldstein, respectively. You can also catch Fred at www.accountablehealthllc.com. And today we're stoked to present three powerful women associated with HBA, and that is the Healthcare Business Women's Association. Our guests are Mary Stutz, its Chief Executive Officer, Nikki Jones, the Chief People and Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer, and Marsha Anderson, the Senior Director and Global Head for the Gender Parity Collective and Initiative by HBA. That focuses on prompting gender equality in the healthcare industry. Fred, the stage is yours. Thanks so much, Greg. And Mary, Nikki, and Marsha, welcome to Pop Health Week. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to see you. Glad to be here. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's my pleasure. And sorry for the little technical difficulties we had to start the last show. So we're back at it. So, Mary, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and the organization? Absolutely. So I am Mary Stutz, and I'm the CEO of the Healthcare Business Women's Association. We are a professional trade association um, located in 74 countries on six continents, every continent except um, Antarctica. And uh, uh, our mission is to develop women uh, in the business of healthcare, um, and that is so that ultimately we are also advancing health equity. Um, I have been working in the healthcare space for many years, started my healthcare career at Kaiser Permanente, and then I was also at United Health Group. I've worked on the uh, provider side as well as the payer side, um, as well as biotech and pharma, uh, working with Bayer or Bayer, as they say in Germany, Genentech, um, Bristol Myers Squibb. And um, I also did a stint on the digital health side with Comcast, NBC, Universal. And uh, I was the first global inclusion health equity officer for Stanford uh, Healthcare. And uh, and currently now, as I mentioned, I'm with the HBA, and uh, I've been in that role just since April. I was on the board of the HBA, um, but you know, I'm very. I've always focused on advancing women in leadership and people of color. Um, and as as you know, the healthcare workforce is 70% female. Uh, the public health workforce is 80% female. And uh, one of the things of concern right now is that those women are leaving the healthcare workforce in droves. And so while I know at this amazing conference, the thin conference that we're at now, there's a lot of focus on um, health disparities and controlling costs and all of that. But there is a 
even bigger looming healthcare crisis, which is the workforce of the future and keeping women in that workforce while we also are diversifying and bringing in more diverse people in that workforce so that ideally we will help uh, impact and reduce the health disparities. So uh, at our panel uh, that uh, I participated in, we were very much focused on the if you will, integration of diversity, equity, and inclusion with health equity. And uh, we know that people need to understand and practice inclusive leadership behaviors if they are really going to provide equitable care um, to all of their patients. And we know right now that is not happening and, and we're seeing things like people of color not being offered the option to participate in clinical trials. Um, I, I did the first um, diversity and clinical trials initiative at Genentech. I know I sound anxious, but um, I, they didn't uh, pay attention to child labor laws. I did do that first uh, diversity and clinical trials initiative at Genentech, and it's sad to say that a lot of things we found back then are still the case. Now, not only was it people of color who were not being offered trials, but at that time, women, no matter what their race right. or ethnicity, right. were not being offered the option to participate in clinical trials. And we also found that once um, the drugs were approved, the newest, most innovative therapies also were not being offered to uh, to people of color. So, um, and then we, we had situations like uh, the George Floyd murder, which shone the light on social injustice, and we saw this, this increase of, of uh, companies hiring um, diversity, chief diversity officers. Uh, but when I was named the first uh, diversity inclusion officer at Stanford, it was during the Me Too movement. And it was a result of the injustices that women had been facing in the workplace over the years in the harassment and mm -hmm. lawsuits and all of those things. And then, of course, you, you continue on with COVID. And then COVID shone the spotlight on the health disparities and the fact that people of color were dying way more uh, than non-people of color. And so you saw another wave of not only hiring chief diversity officers, but also chief health equity officers. And so that's been a big theme here. Uh, but at the end of the day, people most trust people who look like them. Mm -hmm. And what that means is we need to make sure that we have a diverse and inclusive workforce. And in order for us to do that, companies need to make sure that they are very intentionally creating strategies to not only hire a diverse workforce, that's just the tip of the iceberg, mm -hmm. but what's happening to those people after they get in your organization. So it's not about just hiring a diverse workforce, but it's about including them. And what I mean by that, the definition of inclusion and what we ask employees, do you feel valued, celebrated, respected, last two are critical, have access to the same opportunities as everyone else and are being treated fairly or the same as mm -hmm. everyone else. Mm -hmm. When I have done that research, and I've done it at a lot of different companies, even the white people will say, I feel that I have all five of those things, but that I don't see that happening for the other diverse employees in my organization. So there needs to be very intentional and focused programs and metrics. It's interesting that whenever you create a strategy, you know that you have to have goals, you gotta have metrics, you've gotta be able to show your progress, but when you start talking about diversity and inclusion, and you talk about metrics and goals, it's like, 
Oh no, we don't want quotas. There are no quotas. How is it a quota when it's diversity right. and inclusion, but it's metrics when it's your strategy? So these are the kinds of things that we have to fight. And just on that, is part of that also ensuring we have appropriate development opportunities yes. within organizations too? That's right. Because oftentimes, you know, somebody, I, I may go into an organization, I have certain skill sets, but I need to develop in certain areas, That's and right. everybody else has their own yes. that they need to then also That's develop, right. and so those need to be set up to help people so that they can advance appropriately, yes. right? Yes. Well, and this is a key piece. The development piece is huge. It's mm -hmm. why the HBA is so successful, but even in corporations, um, when we're working with staff, one of the big uh, mistakes companies make is that they hire in these new folks into the organization, a lot of times right out of college, and you want to hold on to them, so what do we do? We promote them. But if you haven't trained them to how to be a manager and to manage people, then they don't know how to practice inclusive leadership. Uh, they will take a very punitive approach to how they manage and lead people. And what we've found is that women, to a certain extent, and people of color um, are put on uh, PIPs, you know, performance improvement plans more, and they are involuntarily terminated more. And unfortunately, that is something we see happening with male and female managers because, you know, if, if people don't have that roadmap to what inclusive leadership looks like, they're going to emulate whatever it is they have seen in the company, right. which is why the development is so important. And when you look at the millennials and the Gen Z, they want career development. In other words, they want to sit with their manager and have a discussion about where is my career going in the next two years, three years, five years. If the managers don't know how to have that conversation with them, those people are going to leave and go to a company that has that conversation. Mm -hmm. So, And it's a global challenge, which is why the HBA has its Global Gender Parity Collaborative, which is an amazing program that was led by Nikki Jones, our Chief Diversity Officer. So I'm going to ask Nikki to share a little bit more about the Gender Parity Collaborative for the audience. Awesome. Thank you, Mary. Uh, to our CEO at the Healthcare Business Women's Association, I'm Nikki Jones. I'm the Chief People and DEI Officer at the HBA. Been there about 14 years. Started out in the finance function, and then about five years ago, made the career switch, which is what we really promote our volunteers to do at the HBA. Own your career. Where's your passion? Find it. Uh, get certified. Uh, and that's actually what I did. So I moved from finance into HR, uh, got certified through the Society uh, for Human Resource Management, SHRM, uh, and have been on this journey for, with a people passion first for the last five years, and most recently into the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, for the organization. So as Mary mentioned, as a leadership development organization, we're a membership association, um, we allow women to come to HBA, be able to hone their individual skills, um, find out where they need development, and we allow them to go through our leadership framework. We have programs in local um, areas, regional areas, globally, but then we also give them the opportunity to volunteer. Uh, to be in leadership roles as something that perhaps they may not have been able to get inside of their own jobs. So many times along the career progression for women, they want to be advanced, they want to be promoted, but they're ultimately told, you don't have this competency, you've never managed a team, you've never managed a P&L, you don't know. They can come to HBA with our volunteer structure the way that we have set up, 
gain those skill sets, go back into their workplace and actually see a, a track of promotions and advancement, um, which goes back to our story. We are trying to continue to develop the leadership of the future. Um, going back to Mary's point about women in the workforce, that we comprise more than 70% of the workforce uh, and in the healthcare industry in particular, at every level of leadership, even, even to healthcare workers and hospitals, it's mostly women, but they're leaving in droves the industry for a number of reasons. Um, so what we do is one, to make sure that these women are prepared to accept leadership roles so they can advance, so they can increase their pay capacity. Um, but then we also flip and work on the other side with the companies. Companies, what are you doing to make these women want to leave the workforce? What's happening with your policies, practices, and procedures that you're not exhibiting really being an inclusive workplace? So um, the Gender Parity Collaborative was started in 2018 as a means to help companies, senior leaders really focus in on how to create inclusive workplaces and eradicating the systemic issues that we're really finding are, are preventing women from advancing. Uh, so whether that's literally just having access to opportunities for senior leadership. Because uh, our story is if you have gender balanced leadership, you then will be able to impact uh, decisions, better decision making, which then will benefit the patient, which then will contribute to health equity and really trying to figure out what's what's causing uh, the health disparity. So you've got to have the voice at the table. Um, so we really focus on gender balanced leadership. Just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. Our guests are three executives from the Healthcare Business Women's Association, or HBA, and that is Mary Stutz, its Chief Executive Officer, Nikki M. Jones, its Chief People and Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer, and Marsha Anderson, the Senior Director and Global Head for the Gender Parity Collective and HBA Initiative. And it um, also speaks to the, it directly impacts the bottom line. Yes, absolutely. They're more sure. financially productive. And even yeah. just, you know, one employee leaving your company, yeah. it's up to 18 months salary to replace an employee who leaves your organization can cost up to that much. So um, it behooves the companies to figure out not only how to hire folks, but how to keep them yeah. mm -hmm. and how to develop them and have them be leaders. And so that's a huge uh, piece for us. And as Nikki said, we have over 180 corporate partners. Uh, they represent over 5 million employees total. And uh, we are we have corporate partners across the whole health ecosystem because uh, much like I've worked across the health ecosystem, uh, most women want that type of, of career path as well. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that we have that type of representation as we are doing our programs and they have that exposure to those different parts of the industry is a huge part of our agenda as well. And yeah. uh, we've just hired Marsha yes. and uh, she's going to be taking over, uh, helping to continue our gender parity collaborative because as Nikki was talking one of the things I wanted to point out is you know we are collecting data mm -hmm. on gender parity uh -huh. as a part of that program which is going to be very valuable in helping 
companies and society overall mm -hmm. to understand what needs to happen to achieve gender parity, what programs work, uh, what kinds of things need to happen. And so it's very important for us to keep that work going. And yes. Marsha's going to be doing that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for having me. I am Marsha Anderson. And I am the recently hired Senior Director and Global Head of the Gender Parity Collaborative, mm -hmm. affectionately known as the GPC. Mm -hmm. So I am a little less than three weeks on the job. <laughs> so you're um, an expert. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're ready to go. <laughs> we're trained and ready to go. Trained and ready to go. Good these, for you. These fabulous and, and, and dynamic uh, women that I'm working with. Um, I have been in the healthcare space for about three decades, um, primarily in biopharma. I've also spent some time on the payer side in various roles, uh, sales, sales leadership, marketing, trading, sales operations, uh, you name it. And uh, throughout my career, I've had the opportunity to participate in field diversity initiatives, field diversity teams, work with employee resource groups, also known as ERGs, and leading in that space as well. So as many women in particular, as well as our allies who work in the biopharma space on the corporate side, Many of us are working our day jobs, so to speak, and sort of on the side, you are working on your passion, right? Whether that's diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, women in leadership, women in sales leadership. And so it's something I've always had an interest and a passion in. And I'm at the point in my career where I, the, the right time happened, the right place ha happened, the right opportunity. With my previous uh, employer, we were very big partners of HBA, so I had the opportunity to become familiar with the organization, and so uh, conversations took place, and I am now here. And as uh, both Nikki and Mary pointed out, you know, you're talking about the individual development of leaders, women leaders. Um, what's so nice and so different about the GPC, which I appreciate, is the fact that we are trying to impact um, the system itself. Taking right now, 13 of our um, of our corporate partners that have an interest in looking at the problem and finding solutions to it uh, in a systemic way to really impact the industry. Um, as you'll find and I have found in my career, many women uh, cross different companies. So I've been at a few uh, companies as well as, as Mary. And so we know each other and we all talk and uh, we look for ways to collaborate. And that, that's what women do anyway. We look for ways to collaborate and we're looking at even programs with two of our larger companies coming together later in the year to focus on mentoring and women in development. Well, that's essentially what the GPC is doing. We are benchmarking where we are. We're looking at a baseline. We're then looking at uh, the collection of data. Uh, and there's trust there, right? Because these companies are competitors. But there's a trust that's there that we're looking to move forward. Um, and it's not just it, that it's the right thing to do, but it's also a business reason. There's mm -hmm. a business reason to do it. So we are essentially a think tank we will put our heads together, develop strategies, develop solutions, execute, uh, and hold ourselves accountable and look mm -hmm. back and say, okay, what have we actually done? My personal leadership philosophy has always been accountability, commitment, trust, and development. And um, that is how I see myself in this role is, is leading the GPC to move forward and uh, really impact change. Not again, not just in the individual, but also from a system, uh, uh, from a, a systemic point of view. Can you talk about, you mentioned baselines and developing these measures. What sort of measures should we be grabbing? What are the pieces or elements we should be looking at? Well, I think we should be looking at uh, probably one of the most obvious is, is pay. 
Right. Uh, we're also looking at uh, the promotion of women within organizations. We're looking at um, recruitment. So usually you bring them in, right? But it's what, what's happening when they're there. And that's at, it, that's at each level of their development. So, you know, Mary was talking about bringing in people at the college level, you know, entry level. And many times what we do is we try to keep them and so we promote them. I've seen this and they haven't necessarily been trained to be leaders. So it's how do you impact them as soon as they come through the, do the door. You've already identified the talent because you've made the decision to hire them. Now train them. Let's train them so that they can be effective leaders at every level in the organization. Middle management, um, as they move up the, the chain, senior leadership, uh, the C-suite. Let's look at them from start to progression throughout the organization. Um, so the, these are mm -hmm. the types of things I think we need to be looking at. Mm -hmm. And there's one other element sure. to the, uh, the data. It's also looking at leadership, as I mentioned before, gender-balanced leadership. Right. Mm -hmm. And if, if you, you go to these companies and look at the websites, yeah. look at the leadership. Yes, right. yes there's, there's one demographic. We love you. We absolutely love you. But, again, <laughs> in terms of the diversity, right. making sure there's representation. Yes. So yeah. those are the types of numbers that we challenge these companies that have come together. Mm -hmm. We said, show us your data. What does your leadership team look like? And absolutely. how do we map out a plan absolutely. for it to look like that? And, you know... I want to ask you this because obviously you've been a trendsetter. <laughs> yes. You know, first this, first that, yeah. and so which is great. I mean, that's unbelievable. I love, I love, I love exactly. sitting with people who have set something and started something down a road. Yes. You know, yes. but it's a road. We gotta go. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, maybe you, you've been able to say, "Look, we now have progress because we recognize that mm -hmm. we need to get studies this way and this and that." So, where are we? Mm -hmm today, yeah. and, and I assume we have pretty ways to go, which goes as quick as we could make it happen if yeah. we decide to make it happen. So, so you know what makes the difference, and you're absolutely right, from doing this over these past 30 years, um, the main thing that leaders respond to, and I mean the leaders of today that may not be as diverse, is data. Uh, when I was at Genentech, our CEO said something that stuck with all of us, it's like, in God we trust, all else must bring the data. <laughs> Trust, so, and verify. Yes. Trust and verify. Yes. So the GPC and the data collection, but I, so one of the ways that we've moved the needle on this, and the needle is moving, but the needle is moving because we are talking directly to the staff. And this was not happening before. This is another thing that I kind of pioneered, this whole idea of listening to us. So when I come into an organization and they say, we want you to lead our inclusion and diversity or help us with whatever it is, the challenge is, okay, you got to give me time to talk to the staff and the stakeholders one-on-one -on -one in person, not a survey because people are insulted. To take that time and hear what is the real work experience, real life experience of the cross-section of your employees and bring that data back to the leaders, it is it's mind-boggling for them. It is transformative. To, for them to hear the real stories, and of course, the employees are anonymous, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying who, but I'm giving them, and that's the whole thing, the whole idea of the recurring themes. That's my book that we mm -hmm. talked about here, recurring themes of exclusion in the workplace, because that's where I've heard not only are the employees not being included, they're being deliberately excluded. Yes. So it's uh -huh. recurring yes. themes of exclusion. And, and when leaders hear that kind of data, they are mortified because who wants to lead a company like that? They don't want to. And that's why 
I always emphasize, assume good intentions. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody gets up every day saying, okay, I'm going to go out and create, you know, commit some microaggressions today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nobody does that intentionally, yet it's happening. So we need to understand, and then that's why you have to take that time, starting with your senior most leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the programs I curated is an inclusive leadership program when I was at Stanford, and um, and all of the research that went with that, but starting with the senior most leaders to help them have this roadmap to what inclusive leadership looks like, and then cascade it down to all of your leaders in the organization so that they understand how they're supposed to behave and hold them accountable, mm -hmm. building in that accountability piece so that there is an accountability uh, metric and they have to have a, a partner, buddy up, yeah. all of these things, uh, that's what's making a, a difference. Because I have to tell you, um, some of the companies, when I talk to them, uh, you know, everybody talks about unconscious bias. And some, most of these companies, when they did the unconscious bias training, the acts of microaggression actually increased. Increase. You know why? Because when you take unconscious bias training, it's like, well, you're biased, I'm biased, we're all biased, so hey. So just just let it <laughs> it's true. And and this is what this is what the leader said to me, which led me to create the inclusive leadership workshop. They mm -hmm. said, quite frankly, I know I'm biased, but nobody has told me what to do about it. So that's why, and this is the thing with most, I mean, a lot of programs are out there now and all kinds of things are happening, but my point is we are making progress and the employees now understand the power of their voice so mm -hmm. people are not suffering in silence like they used to do because that's not going to help there's and then companies now are actually tracking the esg requirements yeah. have really helped a lot because as we heard on some of the panels today it's not just about you saying that you're doing it, but if you want to do business with us, if you want to be a vendor, uh, you know, as well as our own company, we want to see your numbers. How, how are you treating your people? Right. How diverse is your workforce? Are they being promoted? Are they, um, you know, being elevated in the company? Are they staying? Yeah, and I think what's what's critically important, especially given the fact that the, the show is called Pop Health Week, is you're working to fix the inside of healthcare, mm -hmm. which will fix the That's outside right. of healthcare. That's right. Bingo. Because That's because right. you've got now people who see people that look like them, yes. who are treated by people who look like them, yes. and who can then go ahead and make that whole disparity issue that we know exists yes. outside yes. better. But we also need to hold people accountable yes. who are there. And so this is one Absolutely. of the first things folks tell us when they bring us in is, oh, we want you to go find all the diverse doctors that you can find <laughs> when you're trying to help with enrolling their trial or launching their new drug. It's like, you know they don't exist, right? Mm -hmm. So we need, we're working to get more diverse physicians and all that, but we need to hold the people accountable we have now, which is why yep. the cultural humility training that I also created, uh, <laughs> uh, and you know, that we do with companies to, to train the workforce that they have to be more culturally humble, to listen, because most of the disparities when you talk to people of color is the doctor didn't listen to me. Mm -hmm. It starts with the staff. We heard that in, today in the panel. The treatment starts with the staff and how the staff even brings them in, listens to them, get them to the right doctor so that piece is so it's it, yes it's bringing in more diverse people but it's also helping the, pe the people who are now. already right there, there. Right. 
to be more culturally humble. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So Mary, Nikki, and Marsha, I'd like to thank you all for coming on Pop Health Week. We could probably go on for yes, hours with could. this. Yes. And thank thanks for so all much. that you're doing. This is thank great. You, thank, thank you for you. the opportunity. So we love it. Absolutely. And back to you, Greg. And that, dear friends, is a wrap. A huge shout out to our guests from HBA, the Healthcare Business Women's Association. We've been speaking with Mary Stutz, the Chief Executive Officer, Nikki M. Jones, its Chief People and Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer, and Marsha Anderson, the Senior Director, Global Head, Gender Parity Collective, and HBA Initiative. We want to thank our worldwide audience for tuning in. To keep tabs on their work at HBA, go to www.hbanet.org. And do follow their individual and collective work on Twitter via at Real Deal Change for Mary, at Marsha Anderson for Marsha, and at HBA Net for HBA. And finally, if you're digging what you're hearing on Pop Health Week, uh, show us some love. Like, share, and subscribe to never miss out on our healthcare hot takes. Catch us live on Healthcare Now Radio. 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And for our West Coast peeps, that's 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. From the Pop Health Week crew, Red Goldstein and yours truly, Greg Masters, stay safe, everyone. Keep thriving, and until next time, adios. <laughs>